Well, I want to get right after it. Uh, anybody look at Acts 4.12 today for a memory verse? That, uh, anybody? How many of you knew that verse before I said it? You've heard of neither is there salvation of any other. That used to be a very common verse that people would memorize. They would. <clears throat> How many of you know John 3.16? From childhood. How about that one? Okay, it was one you learned back. I don't know if that's uh, and emphasize that much today, but it's still true today. Would you agree with that? And uh, well, Acts 4.12, anybody want to stand and just, you don't have to stand, just quote it. Uh, anybody just say, I'd like to try that? I'm taking this out of your time. Go ahead. Amen. Given among men. Close enough. <laughs> Good. I would encourage you to remember that, memorize that verse for this week. This is gospel-oriented, saturated, and focused. Paul said to the church at Corinth, And when I came unto you, brethren, this is 1 Corinthians 2, 1, And when I came unto you, brethren, I came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. How many of you know that if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater? Good place for an amen. This is the testimony of God. Um, and this is the... The message which he has testified of his son, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, we're in the Gospels. These men are just the life of Christ. But he said, when I came, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. But that he meant, let's just talk about Jesus, what he's done for us. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The word of God is still living and powerful. Preach the word. Proclaim. Paul said, I just want to come and proclaim to you the truth about Jesus and the gospel. Everything in our Christian life, if you haven't got the foundation down, everything you do up above, it, it, it's not going to last. It won't make it. But if it's built upon the foundation of Christ, you can stand it when the storms come. How many of you have lived long enough to know that life has its storms? Say amen. It, it's just going to come. But it won't shake the house. It won't shake the house. But if you're not on the foundation, you haven't done deed and laid on the foundation, I got news for you, great would be the fall of it. It comes, the winds, the storms come, and lives fall apart. Why shouldn't? Everything that's going on exterior storm-wise, <laughs> God's still God, the Bible's still true, heaven's still my home, the Holy Spirit's still my home. You know, not really a whole lot changes if you're founded on Christ. Let her come. We know who we are. We know who. So that's what we want to do is just proclaim Christ. And scripture memory has been just a game changer for me, and <clears throat> I am passing on to you and encourage you to memorize scripture. Okay, <clears throat> most people can hear the gospel, excuse me, most people have to hear the gospel more than once to finally believe it and be saved, but I believe you can hear the gospel once, believe it and be saved. I believe you can. In fact, I know of a guy that the first time he heard, he grew up in a denomination, a church, that taught the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, and those kinds of things. He had those kinds of things in his background. But he never got the gospel until he heard a man proclaim Christ and him alone. You don't have to go through the church or through any other man to get to God. You have to go through Jesus. Say amen if you understand that. And he got it. Click. God connected. He heard the gospel. The first time he heard the gospel, he just believed it and got saved. I mean, it was a 180, okay, when he got saved. So that is the case, but most people have to hear, I don't know, I heard some kind of a study one time, how many times a person has to hear the gospel? So that's why we're supposed to just keep preaching the gospel, claiming the gospel. And that sometimes people start piecing things together. They might even receive Christianity, but they've not received Christ yet. And there's a big difference. Jesus never called anybody to a teaching. He called them to himself. Come follow me. 
okay, the person of Christ. To receive Christ into your life is to give him your life. You receive his. You receive Christ as your Savior. <clears throat> um, seven, I, I, this morning, the great awakening is that when that day comes, lights kick on. Some people know the date and the hour. I talked to a young guy in the parking lot. He said, I know the day, the hour, the time, where it was at. Where I said, how many of you know Paul knew that Damascus Road day? Say amen to that, okay. But not everybody has a Damascus Road experience. Come on. We don't all have that. Say, how do you know that I'm as saved? And if you're saved, you're as saved as the Apostle Paul, though you didn't have the Damascus Road experience. Okay, so same Savior. You've got to get those things down. Now, who is, are you believing someone else's experience? You don't want to live off someone else's experience. I don't have to live off your theology, but I do have to live off mine. That's same true of all of us. Who, do you know whom you have believed? And are you persuaded that he is able? That, that kind of an embrace. And where that comes, sometimes we don't always know. Now, I like that. I know September 8, 1978, I drove a stake. I did not get saved then, but I got news for you. I have never questioned my salvation since then. And there's no looking back. But I know that just stopping swearing or getting a divine enabling power of God to quit my filthy mouth was not. That's not what I based my salvation on. There's pe my wife never swore in her life. Does that mean she was saved because she never used filthy language? You know it doesn't. Come on, folks. Seriously. She has other issues, and if you'd like to know them, see me after the service, but she never had any problem swearing, okay? How do you know you can grow up in the church and still have a filthy mouth? Come on, come on. I know there's somebody here that knows what I'm talking about. It's easy, to, that kind of junk can come up. It's part of the journey, okay? <clears throat> now, I believe that was a wake-up call for me. The Great Awakening, I'm sure on that. I've kind of looked back and studied, looked at my life, and probably said around 10 years old. I remember an experience of, at a Christian camp of, Feeling the conviction of, a, of my sin. How if you know at 10 years old you're not a hardened criminal yet? Would you agree with that? So you're not like you're confessing all this baggage and stuff. You know what I'm saying? But how if you know 10 years old can know right from wrong and truth from a lie and good from evil? Come on. Your 10-year-olds, don't sell them short. They can understand this. Christ came to save sinners like me, young. So I think that was probably about the time, but I'm not going to ever die on that. But I struggled with assurance of my salvation for years. Question, have any of you ever wondered if you really are saved or not? Now don't answer, just ponder with me, think on that. Hebrews 10.22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now, I have that, okay, and I can draw near based upon that. But I didn't always have that, but I may have been saved before that probably was. But I didn't have full assurance of faith. <clears throat> My favorite hymn now is, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. In fact, I know that some of you know that, John. You probably I know one time you, we sang that just to bless me. And I, just, I just stand and cry when I hear that. Uh, Carmen made us a wall plaque. We still have it. I wouldn't take anything for that. It's made out of barn wood. I'm not sure. Whatever it is. And it's about this big. And Joyce has a, some kind of a flower thing over top of it. But it's blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance. See, that is a wonderful thing to be sure. I can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Fanny Crosby had an Arminian background. You know, I don't have to explain that. She, didn't, she came from a denomination that they did not have that in the sense that, I wonder if I, see, people that doubt their salvation many times ask the wrong question. They're saying, have I done enough? When you understand the gospel, you say, could I do enough? I even know we can't say amen to that. You see, you may think that's a big difference. That's a big difference 
in, in the, her denomination, uh, they would have, uh, back in her day, Fanny Crosby, great hymn writer, had, they'd have uh, mourner's benches and they would have uh, things like that. And she came forward and she wrestled while they're preaching and the music is playing and doing all this kind of stuff. And she just wrestled because she struggled so much. I wonder if I'm really saved. And that's a legitimate, people, that's a legitimate thing you want the answer to. And she stood up in this conservative background kind of ministry and she shouted, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And she never doubted herself. I don't know what went on between her and God there, but she settled it. It was probably the gospel truth just poured into her life and she answered some of those difficult questions. Now, she didn't write that hymn until a few years later, but it is my favorite, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Well, I'm going to share this. We're not to the message, by the way. We're not in John yet, but we will be if you want to find John 11. Put your finger in there. This is the introduction for tonight. <clears throat> um, we just had our 24th family consecration. I don't have time to tell you what that is, but we, for 24 years now, and it was our year to plan this year, and we get together for three, four, five. Sometimes we spend a week together as a family. What a blessed time this has become. It has spiritual dynamics that we never knew when we started this blessing our children and uh, we have time we have communion together we uh, pray sing worship preach and uh, so it's my our turn this year to plan this and so I was going to preach on uh, we, we, I called it the great awakening this year from this okay the great awakening I want to preach the gospel to all of our kids we all of our children grandchildren all of our grandchildren now have made professions of faith even um, and our, we are so blessed our family loves the Lord they love each other we get together and there's not a cross word. There's no competition. It is the Spirit of God that has done a work in our family that we get no credit for, but get all the benefits from. Amen. God gets all the glory, we just get all the good. We, if you could do it wrong, we did it. Come on, parents, help me with this. Would you agree with that? Your kids turn out right. It's in spite of your abilities, okay? It's just God's goodness, okay? But wonderful time. Brian, our other son's an evangelist, and he was going to speak, and he, he just stirs us up about the gospel. And Ben's going to, no, did you have a preach time? Yeah, you were supposed to preach Sunday morning, but you took off because you're daughter had a baby okay <laughs> so that we, we let him leave if your child's having a baby so Natalie and Aaron couldn't come because she was supposed to be due that next week but you don't need this <clears throat> anyway Gabriel our son-in-law was supposed to have communion we have communion together I believe we have that that privilege to do that within our family you got pastors all over the place and but the father being the priest the head of the family those kind of things and so we have a way that we do this we all have a common glass you know um, but Gabe, his mom, passed out, hospital, they ran a bunch of tests on her, everything lit up, she's supposed to be full of cancer. She has no cancer, but at that time. So he was going to stay home to take care of his mom and dad because his dad's getting dementia and can't take care of his mom. You don't need that either. How many of you know life is not a cakewalk? Say amen to that. Just things happen in life. So I said, no sweat. Gabe said, Dad, I can't do community, so I'm not going to be able to come. Ellen, the kid's going to come, but I can't come. So I said, I got you. I'll do communion. And <clears throat> this is a week, 10 days before consecration. And I said, Lord, give me something fresh for communion. I can tell you something. Sometimes you can mindlessly go through the wafer in the cup. Come on, would you agree with me? And it not be what you know it is it intended to be, to be a remembrance until he comes. And sometimes I'm going to lose. I said, God, give me something. So I get three periodicals a month. And one of them is the Midnight Call magazine, News from Israel, and The Voice of the Martyrs. I used to get more than that, but I got where I, weren't, I wasn't reading them. But I was getting them. But these three I read. On the cover of August was, on the Midnight Call was, the greatest word in world history. 
kind of a catchy title. I said, I don't know what that is. If I said to you, what is the greatest word in world history, we might have said, say love or whatever it would be. And I, didn't, I said, I wonder what that is. I want to share that with you with the thought of the gospel, okay? Um, the word is tetelestai, tet. Say that with me, tet, tet. One more time, tet. Elestai. Tet elestai. It is an Aramaic word, and I don't want to try to make you think that I understand languages. I don't. But it's not classical Hebrew. This is the word from the cross when Jesus said, it is finished, took three English words. How many of you have heard that? It is finished. Last word in the cross, give it the ghost, presence of the Lord. What he said was an Aramaic word. It was not Koine Greek. Not that sophisticated. It was an Aramaic language. It was the language of Bible times. It's what a Greek person would hear that word said, they would know what it meant. A Hebrew person would hear that word said, they'd know what it meant. A Roman person would hear that word said, and many of them would know what that word meant. Let me give you the definition of what this word tetelestai is. <clears throat> it means, I'll find it in here. It means to be fulfilled, perfected. I love that one. Accomplished, made an end of, performed, finished. English, just took the way up. It is finished, what he said. What Jesus really said from the cross was, Tetelestai. Now, when the high priest, how do you know this is Passover? Jesus crucified Passover. This we may have some idea of the time frame of what, what's going on in the life of Christ. <clears throat> it's the Passover. Jesus had shared the Passover with his disciples that night before he was betrayed. Okay? It was the day of preparation. The priest had made preparations for the Passover. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that particular time, would have had a lamb set aside to make sure this lamb was absolutely perfect. It was what would be called the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb. It was what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus going by, and he said, Behold, the Paschal lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How do you know the Passover lamb was supposed to bear the sin of the people for another year? How many of you are familiar with this? I don't know why I can't see anybody. Okay, you're familiar with this. This, this was the once a year. The, how many of you remember? No, I'm not going to time. I'm going to take you all the way back to Egypt, okay? This was the offering they were supposed to make. The blood on the doorpost, that kind of stuff. That was the lamb. It was the one. This was supposed to be a perfect lamb. No, no blemishes. No, in fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, about verse 18. For you know that you have not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of God as of a lamb. That word is as the paschal lamb. Without blemish and without spot. How do you know that describes Jesus perfectly? Would you agree with that? There wasn't a spot on him. You couldn't find anything. You talk about integrity. You look hard enough, you'd find spots on this old boy's life. They're there. But when you looked on Jesus, he was the perfect sacrifice. Now, when Caiaphas would take the lamb that they had finally chosen, had, and this is the one, this is the one that we're going to sacrifice, and Caiaphas would do this. Between about noon and three o'clock, he is preparing this. This priest to sacrifice this lamb, and he's the one going to do it. The priest has to do it according to the laws of Moses and Leviticus. You check that out. You talk about precision and detail and accuracy that has to be done perfectly at this. 
when he would take the Paschal lamb and slay it, and they didn't plunge it, they would slit its throat, and it would die as its blood flowed out of it until finally heart was slowing down, not enough liquid, the blood not, because the life's in the blood, and finally that old lamb's eyes would begin to, to beat, and eventually it would die. When he knew the lamb was dead, he knew that the penalty for the sins of the people for that year had been paid for, and he would shout with a loud voice, Tetelestai! And the people outside would hear it, and they would rejoice because they knew the lamb had been slain for their sin for another year. I... I don't know if I can go this far to say this. This commentator went th took this liberty, and I think he could almost do this, that as Caiaphas was crying, Tetelestai, Jesus was crying, Tetelestai, because it was dark upon the face of the earth from noon to 3 o'clock, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he cried. You know what happened? The earth shook. Graves were open. The veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was ripped in two from top to bottom. And man now is going to have access to the holiness of God through an act done by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I like that. Whew. What a Savior. Coincidence? Come off it. Precision. To a T it was done. And the old centurion, who was a perfection, he was a professional executioner. When Jesus cried that out, he said, Surely this man must have been the Son of God. Because you ain't supposed to die like that when you've been hanging on a cross. You're supposed to die gurgling and your lungs are filling up with body fluids and more and more until finally... <laughs> he said he cried with a loud voice. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. <laughs> Hallelujah for the sacrificial lamb. People, if you ever doubt your salvation, just say to yourself, Tetelestai. It's finished. He did the work we could not do. He tore the veil in two just his cry. The earth shook, the graves were opened, and men confessed, surely this must be the Son of God. Ooh, I love that. Okay. Well, you ready for the sermon? I am. I'm ready to preach after that. Satan, don't you ever fire a doubt of dart at me because I'll just tell you it's finished. It's over. He did it. There ain't going to need to be anymore. It's all done. I have every confidence to step into the presence of a holy God with no other claim to be there than the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, shed for my sin. And with that, I can have full confidence. But if I look at me, I'm going to go in terrified. But if I look unto Jesus, the author, the one who started this whole thing, in the beginning, God, to it is finished, I'll step right into his presence, confident in him. Preach the gospel to yourself. Hear it again, hear it again. I never tire of preaching the gospel, and I never tire of hearing it. Amen. I need to be reminded of it. Amen. Well, <clears throat> John chapter 11. Let me take you through six verses. I'll back up, we'll unpack. We'll only be in the first three, but I'm going to give you the first six to this, and then we'll do some preaching from it. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany. The town, of Mary, excuse me, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped, her, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest. Oh, I'm glad he loves us even when we're sick. Somebody say amen. You can get sick and the devil will tell you, God can't love you, you're sick. Oh, shut up. 
He loves us even when we're sick. And Christians get sick. Say amen. Come on, help me with this. I'll tell you what. You say amen a little bit. It'll speed up the sermon. I'll let you out five minutes early. Amen. amen. Yeah. Ushers, would you remove the guy? that You, you got to say it at the right time, okay? Let's get on this at the right time. These are amen kind of, amen so this, this, this is right. I agree with this. This is true. That's what you're saying when you do that. You know I'm jabbing you here a little bit. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Behold him, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus therefore heard that he was sick. By the way, yeah, I'll, I'll back up to that. I'll get into that in a minute. He said this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. That the Son of God himself may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Probably of all the verses you ought to underline that one. A sovereign loving God stayed right where he was when you got sick and asked for him to come. That's interesting. Well, let me see. He makes no mistake about it who we're talking about. Now I'm going to tell you this, give you some of the time frame. I did a little bit of that this morning. John, probably most of the disciples are already dead. The, apostles, the other apostles are probably dead. Lazarus is probably dead. Did you know that John's the only one that has this account in the Gospels of Christ? Nobody else mentions that. Nobody makes reference to it. Lazarus was somebody who, when he came back from the grave, his testimony was so powerful, a lot of people were believing in Jesus because of his testimony, and the disciples who wanted to kill Jesus now wanted to kill Lazarus. So we have no mention of this in the earlier Gospels, but he has freedom to do it now because Lazarus is probably dead again. How do you know that Lazarus had to die again? I'll tell you, there was no stinger in death the second time. He probably woke up in the morning, I'm still here, shoot. <laughs> I know, how many of you know he went to the place where Jesus when cross thief? Today you'll be with me, somebody help me in. Paradise. He'd been there. So it wasn't a faith thing for him anymore. I've been there. Saw the people of paradise. And he wasn't real crazy about being called back. But nonetheless, how many of you know when he came back, he did not come back with a glorified body. If he had a toothache when he died, he came back and still had the same toothache. If he had allergies, he, came, he still had, you say, oh, I think he was on me. Well, you're hard pressed to find that, but I can tell you this, that Jesus, who is the head of the church, is the firstborn from the dead, that in him, all, that he might have preeminence. Christ is the first one that came back with a glorified body. And it wasn't Lazarus. Now, um, let me see where we want to go here. The title of this evening's message is Sin for Jesus. I'll come back to that in just a moment. The word therefore. I'm going to shrink this a little bit. Um, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Let me give you this up here that when he first introduces, he's writing, Holy Spirit, inspiration. This is God's word. Order to it. No, no, no chance, no chaos. This isn't the words of man. This is the words of God. He mentions Lazarus' name first. There was a man, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and Martha. Mary, the one who made the better choice at one time when Martha was just serving. You, you know the hit she took for serving. Martha's had bad press from that. Godly woman. Godly woman. Lazarus first, then Mary, then Martha. Then he comes down and he says, then it's Martha and her sister. Doesn't even give her name, but we know her name is Mary because it was mentioned up here. But he doesn't even mention her name. Martha and Mary, and then Lazarus. Why are the names juggled in order? I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on that. 
I believe it's because God is no respecter of persons. We have a tendency to do that amongst ourselves. We have a respect. We measure ourselves by ourselves or by others, and that's always a dangerous thing to do. How do you know that God is never impressed either more or less with any person? No person. How do you, you're glad you don't have to have a, a high IQ to make it to heaven? Or you have to be a certain height or a certain weight or a certain nationality. Or certain, how are you glad you don't have to be biologically Jewish to go to heaven? So he's not looking at humanity. He sees not as a man sees. Would you say amen to that now? We, we see people in a certain... He, I think he puts that in there to say, in Romans 2.11, there is no respect of persons with God. He don't love your pastor more than he loves you. We sang about him loving us. And he don't love you more than he loves the pastor. See, God doesn't do it that way. I think he puts those things out of order like this and rearranges them for our benefit to think about that. Okay. The word therefore, whenever you say therefore, his sister sent it to him saying, Lord, behold, the word therefore links together that which has already been said, who he is, name, address, where he lives, Bethany, house of unripe figs or dates, which is about two miles to the southeast of Jerusalem proper, where he would come and stay a number of times, became good friends with them. They were believers in him that he was the Messiah. We know that because of Martha's testimony as well as Mary's testimony. She sat worshiping him at the feet of Jesus. Lazarus in that same crowd. He ran with that group. Therefore, he uses that word twice. When he had heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Therefore, he knew, he heard things, and he knew. Therefore, he didn't move like you, you and I might think he needs to move. Someone's sick, somebody you love is sick. Now, I want to back up here to verse 3. Behold him, him who thou, Lord, behold him whom thou lovest is sick. The word sick is mentioned five times in those six verses. That's significant. Sick, 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 sick. Let me give you the definition of the word sick. The word sick means means this, to have an infirmity, weak, ill. These are words, synonyms, describing what it means to be sick. Weak, ill, diseased, unwell, ailing, laid up, afflicted, unhealthy, poorly, frail. Frail. Psalms 39.4, David, in his prime, who could run like a, a roe, like a deer. Just he was athletic, good shape. Good warrior, good soldier. He said, Lord, make me to know mine end, the measure of my days, that I I may know what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Think about the time in your life when you were at your best. I played four years of college football, and at one time, I weighed about 30 pounds more than this, and my waist was four inches smaller. In other words, I'm not smuggling inner tubes. This is me, okay? It used to be up here. Every time I went by a mirror with a short sleeve shirt on, I was going like this because I had a huge arms back here because I learned how to, what you do to build up the back of your arms real big like this. That's where your strength is. Not, not the curls for the girls. It's back here. <laughs> Anybody, any weightlifters know what I just tried to say there? This is, this is where you want. And you kind of go by a mirror and you go, Argh. When I go by, well, I'm going to give you a shot of this. <laughs> that used to be up here and on here. <laughs> when I was at my best, it's all it would take something microscopic to lay me out to be sick. Come on, say amen to that. He said, I need a glimpse of this. How many of you know that? How many of you know that? I've got to be careful here. I'll be. Okay. Because of the fall, Adam's sin fall, 
This sickness is not a reason. It's a result of Satan's assault upon humanity. Those who are made in God's image. This isn't God's original design. Sickness. How many of you live long enough to know that there is an expiration date stamped on every forehead in this room? It's going to happen. If time stands, you live long enough, you'll get a sickness unto death. It's going to happen. Um, the Center for Disease Control. I Googled this. I don't have one of them wicked, I don't have one of them other phones. I have a godly phone. It's you don't need to, but my wife has one of them wicked phones, okay? And occasionally I backslide and I use it. <clears throat> I'm not so sure that's all it's cracked up to be for good. I think there's, never mind, okay? You don't need my philosophy on that. Um, I Googled it, and it said there are over 10,000 diseases in the world and only 500 cures. But that's settling on it. How many of you know that's not a good prognosis? Would you agree with that? Some's going to get us. 10,000. You Google it. Unless they've changed it. I don't know that wicked thing. Who knows what they do? But that's what it said. <clears throat> 10,000 of them. Um, as an act of faith, the title of this message is, They Sent for Jesus. When you get sick, <laughs> send for Jesus. In fact, call him before you call your doctor. Amen. Now, I'm not anti-doctors. You're going to find that out. Man, I thank God for doctors. I was preaching in Danville, Illinois one time, and the last message that evening felt sick. I'd been out with some people, went out to eat, and I overate. <laughs> one of those rare occasions when I overate. <laughs> and uh, I thought, oh, just a little bit. Of it. But my gallbladder had burst. And uh, when I got home, I, man, I'm feeling worse and worse, but I'm slow to go to the hospital, just slow to go to the hospital. Called a doctor. He said, Tom, I think it's your gallbladder. I think you better go into emergency. But I ain't that sick. I ain't going to emergency. I ain't that sick. Never mind. How many of you get hurt and bad enough, you'll go to emergency? Anybody want to say amen to that? Do you know what I mean by that? You may think you're tough. If you get hurt and bad enough, you're going to go to the emergency. So I went in there. And Joyce is trying to check me in, and I'm trying to act like I ain't hurting bad, but I'm hurting bad. And finally, I told her, I says, I gotta, I'm going to go out and wait for you in the car. I said, I, I'm hurting bad. <clears throat> and the nurse heard and says, uh, we'll see if we can get you in right now. So sure enough, sent me in a wheelchair, run the test, and yep, yeah, God bless British, got to have emergency surgery. It wasn't the kind they can do with them little holes. It's the kind, you know. And they had, I was the third guy that night, full moon. I don't know what the deal was, but the third guy, and this team of gastrologists said, I can't believe that. We haven't done one of these in six months, and now we've got three of them we've got to do tonight. So the oldest guy on the team took the first guy, and the next oldest guy, and I got the youngest guy. How many of you know I'd just as soon have some guy that's been doing this a lot? But nonetheless, and, uh, and I made it through mine. The guy in the middle died. So it was serious. I mean, it was something that you can die from. You get gangrene and it goes to a stage at a certain point and you can... And I was, I was preaching the night before. I, you know, you can get sick in a heartbeat. You can find yourself with some sickness in your life. Send for Jesus. Send for him. It is an act of faith when you send for the Lord. 
This is an act of faith by Mary and her sister Martha. Send the people, go find out where Jesus is at. He's in Bethbara beyond the Jordan, two verses above that. Here is the Sea of Galilee. Bethbara beyond the Jordan, the Jordan River is here. This is a spiritual thing for Jews to cross the Jordan River. He is in Bethbara beyond the Jordan where John at first baptized. John did not go town down Jerusalem. He went as far from Jerusalem as you could get. He is in a wilderness area. That's where Jesus went because the pressure to kill him was intense. He, that was six months before the cross. He went there. Now he's, we're going to find this. He's coming back from there. He's up there. So two-day trip up from Beth, Bethany. They leave the message. When they left, he was just sick. When Jesus hears it, he stays two days more, comes back. He's been four days in the grave. They both said this. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Well, I got news for you. He was there in spirit, or his father was. He was there. They knew enough to send for Jesus. That is an act of faith when you pray. Even a person who doesn't pray as much as they should. If we're supposed to pray without ceasing, all of us in this room, our prayer lives need prayer. They're not what they should be. But it's amazing when people do get sick that they think about God. Did you know that sickness can be a wake-up call? Come on. If you've never been diagnosed with a potentially terminal disease, you should be. Because we all are potentially a heartbeat away from something that could take our life. And they lived like most of us, off the end of their nose, things are going okay, get sick. Eventually they send for Jesus. Send for Jesus right away, first thing. And don't forget to call the doctor too. I think Luke was Paul's beloved physician. Our physician, our old Dr. Morgan. I'll tell you, I appreciated that old boy. He was kind of a country doctor in many ways. But he knew a lot. He'd listened to a lot of hearts. When I was having so much chest pain and thinking, you know, I'm about ready to have a heart attack. And guy's 60 years old when I was back then having heart attacks and dying and stuff and I end up having a heart cath I had no peace and had all this pain and he listened to my chest and he says Tom he said I don't think it's your heart you realize how many people during a day that old boy put the old fashioned stuff that's scoped in <laughs> said I don't think it's your heart well, what's the pain he said I think it's skeletal I went through all them expensive tests to find out it was skeletal you know what that means it was a nerve because when I drove, I drove with my finger on here and my thumb on the steering wheel, and I pushed all the time because I was constantly driving, going to some place to preach, you know. You're not enjoying this. You know what he did? He showed me some exercises, and the pain went away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you for the old doctor who knew what he was talking about. But a few things like, I wasn't going to do this. What time do you folks have to be home? No. Let me give you this. You may need this more than you think. You may not know in a very near future how much you need a message like this on sickness. Because you don't know. Listen to this. An old doc said to me. Um, here's what they said. Jesus said, he's sleeping. Used it as a euphemism. And here's what the disciples said. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. In other words, he, he's getting better with your sleep. Dr. Morgan told me, he said, you know what? Sleep is nature's greatest medicine. You get sick, rest is something you need. Your body has been designed to recover, recuperate, rest, a good night's rest. 
He said, he told me, he said, a person is supposed to sleep a third of their life. One third of your life should be spent resting to live out the 16 hours you're going to be awake. Amen. Amen. I agree with that. <laughs> Did you know that babies, newborns, sleep between 17 and 19 hours a day and they are growing like crazy? They're doing while they're sleeping. Teenagers are supposed to get 8 to 10. Remember when you're 13 or 14, you thought it was so cool to stay up late at night? How have you got to the place? You look forward to going to bed at night. The earlier the better. In fact, we're going to knock this off here pretty good. <laughs> Just think about this. Sleep. Sleep and rest are gifts from God. By the way, between the ages of 20 to 60, 7 or 8 or more, I slept 8 hours last night. And that's, I don't always sleep 8 hours. A lot of 6-hour nights. And I do get by with less sleep than, than most. I slept good last night. Hallelujah. That's the reason I'm so revved up today, okay? <clears throat> Listen to this. It's a gift from God. Psalms 127.2. It is a vain thing to rise up early, sit up late, and eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved rest. Psalms 23, 1 through 3. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. Good things happen when you sleep. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not allow him to sleep. You can buy a nice bed, an expensive mattress. You can buy $50 pillows, but you can't buy sleep. It's a gift from God. Some learn to, to enjoy, to praise God for it. Thank God for it. I want to give you two sleep aids. Two sleep aids. One of them is prayer. How do you know that God is always up? He neither sleeps nor slumbers. Say amen to that. But God is always up, but you and I are not God. Before you go to sleep, go to sleep talking to the God of all peace and rest and joy. Go, ahead, go, to bed, go to sleep at night praying, talking to God. You might be amazed you'll wake up talking to Him. You shift into your subconscious, and you, but I got news for you, God's still God. And then his word, Psalms 1-2, meditate therein day and night. Now, I'm abbreviating these and shrinking these right now. But these are helpful sleep aids. David talked about when he did wake up in the night seasons, that he would spend time with God. I have learned, I don't know, do I know you well enough to share that? How do you know, you get to a certain age as a man, that at 2 o'clock in the morning, you got to get up. Anybody know what I just said when I'm saying that? Can I get and go to the bathroom, okay? And sometimes you go back to bed and you go right back to sleep. And sometimes you go back to bed and you're awake. What do you do with that time? What do you do with it? If the devil likes to wake you up at night, start praying when he does, he'll stop waking you up. Sleep aids. You don't always have to, all the things we do to get stuff in us to make us sleep. By the way, that was shooting, snorting, smoking. Never mind. All that Okay, moving right along. That was, uh, <clears throat> I didn't know what I was going to do that or not, but I thought I would. Okay. Send for Jesus. Say amen to that. We'll move on. Just call on the name of the Lord. So go ahead and call your doctor. Go ahead and call him. But call on the Lord first. Let me see what I can find here. I can tell you about the credentials of the great physician. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 says this. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee. <laughs> teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the king and healing 
all manner of sickness and disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people and all that were taken with diverse diseases. And he ran the test and had to wait for the results before he could help them. If you've got a Bible that says that, you need a new Bible. He didn't do any of that, did he? He just says, he healed them all. Jesus has a capacity to do a healing. And it may be in God's design and sovereign plan to stay right where he's at and leave you sick for two more days. Don't do this to God. There was a guy that just recently shared with me that he was witnessing to a guy at work. And he's going through a hard time. I'm in his marriage right now. And he says, I talked to this guy. I just wanted to get him to go to church. And this is what he said to me. He says, when my mom got sick, he said, I prayed and asked God to heal her. And she died. So I don't believe in God. I dare say he probably didn't believe in God before that either. You want an excuse why not to believe God? There's a good one. How do you know that God is not obligated to heal us at any time? But because he loves us, it just may be that he will heal us. And he has the capacity to heal us. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in those things. Okay. Well, what if he doesn't come? And what if you die? Let me see here. <laughs> Did you know there's more to, to life than being alive? Let me say it again. There's more to life than just being alive. Ask yourself the question. Why do you want to live? Why do you... Why, why do you want to keep standing here breathing up God's air and eating up his food and drinking up his water and taking up his space? Come on, help me with it. How many of you know this is his creation? Why, why do you want to live? How many of you know that life is not just to see how long you can live, but to live however long? The Bible talks about the years of man's life. Would you agree with that? The days of man's years are three score and ten, seventy, or by reason of strength, four score, yet the spans but toil and trouble is soon gone, we fly away. Down in verse 12, it says this, So teach us to number our days. What are you going to do with the day? He gives you another day, what are you going to do with it? Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Why do you want to live? This is a valid question every person, healthy or sick in this room, ought to ask himself. Why do you want to live? What's the purpose? I have told this to God a year or two ago. These are some of the things I said when I felt like God was saying, Why do you want to live, Tom? I've already given you a three score and ten. That's a couple of years ago. Why do you want to live? And I said back to God, because I can't live by faith in heaven, but I can live by faith here. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews eleven thirty-three. By faith. How many of you know when you get to heaven, you ain't gonna need faith? It'll all be what? He, we want to live by sight here, but we will live by sight there, or there, heaven or hell. No faith required. But here, and God loves faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, but without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. I have to seek him I'm in his presence in, in heaven. While I'm here, why do you want to live? Why do you want to keep on living here? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. How do you know Hebrews 11 is a chapter of faith? It says this, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in flight, fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. You can't do that in heaven or any of the other things that it mentions here. 
So why I want to live here? Because there's things I can do for you here, God, that I can't do once I'm there. It's over there. I can't deny the old man. You know what that means? The old man ain't going. He lives in this carcass of flesh. And when I exit here to go in the presence of the Lord and when the resurrection or when I'm absent from the body and present with the Lord and just my spirit is there waiting for the resurrection and the, the redemption of the body. He bought us lock, stock, and barrel. And when that stuff happens, I got news for you. I won't be able to tell the old man, no. I won't be able to deny the old man. Put off the old man, put on the new. It says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Nope, yes it is. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore we are debtors, not to the flesh, live after the flesh. For you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, we shall live. I need to reckon myself dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. I can't do that there. The old man ain't going with me there. God loves it when you and I obey the voice of his spirit and say to the old man, there's a new master here. His name is Jesus and you're all done running the show. There? Can't do that. I'll be in his presence. The old man ain't coming. I can't resist the unseen enemy of my soul. I can't invade his territory with the light of the gospel. He won't be there. Heaven's beyond the devil's reach. Please say amen to that. See, I can do things here that pleases God that I won't be able to do in heaven. Devil won't be there. I can't submit myself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Can't do that there. I can't lay up treasures. You can only lay up treasures in heaven from earth. Lay up treasures, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust are not corrupt and thieves break. Do not think there'll be no thieves there. There'll be no moths. There'll be no rust. There'll be no corruption in heaven. But it's here. But I can still lay eternal rewards up there while I'm here. I can't visit the sick. I can't go to the prison. There'll be no prisoners there. Come on, say amen to that. No jails in heaven. I can't feed the hungry or give a drink to the thirsty. I can't clothe the naked. God's going to take care of all that there. While I'm here, I can do that. Why do you want to live? Why do you want to be here? I can't go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. Do any of you ever struggle with judging people? Amen. Me either. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not taking this alone. Come on, all of us do. Would you agree with that? We have an ability to look at somebody and draw and court them real quick. And I, was, I know it was a gas station. You went in to get something. I got gas and you weren't there. And I pulled up. And the guy pulls up in kind of a sports car next to me. And... Um, Shaved head, gray mustache. He's probably 60s, I'm guessing. Earring, tattoos, and, uh, and his girlfriend or wife, who it was, got out next to him, got out of the car, and she walked by, and she just... She didn't look as wholesome as you, Pauline, or as Joyce here. Like you women. You know what I mean? I, I'm kind of... I'm sitting there, minding my own business, with the ability to judge. Did you know there's something in this book about that? We ain't supposed to do that. But occasionally I do that. And I remember thinking to myself, now this was a good thought. Because he got out with a little tiny poodle or some kind of little dog. He's going to take the dog over here and let it doo-doo or whatever, you know. And when he got out, I thought, oh God, those people need the Lord. I, I instantly thought they can't be saved and look like that. 
I know better than this, but that's what I did. When he got out of the car, he walked away, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, those people need the Lord. On the back of his T-shirt, it said, go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in that my father's house may be full. And I said, God, will you please forgive me? How do you know when you and I get to heaven, we will not do that anymore? Say amen to that. I can recognize that as sin here and say, that's wrong of me. Deal with it, Tom. Quit judging people. You're going to let me take that one all alone. Does anybody know what I just said or not? Man, I hate that in me. I won't have to struggle with that there because it ain't going with me. But while I'm here, I can deal with that stuff. Okay, moving right along to another one. I can't yield my members as instruments of righteousness unto God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which your reasonable servant, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is that goodness? I can't do any of those things when I'm in heaven. It'll be over there. But I can do them while I'm here. And those things, when I do them here, please, my God, why do you want to live? Why do I want to be here? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. David said, I thought on my ways, and I turned my feet under thy testimonies. In heaven, I won't have to worry about that. But here, I've got to think on my ways. How am I using the time, the life that God has given me? Is it for me and my glory, my little sphere, my little world that I've created for myself? Or is it for the God of the universe, the God of all glory, who is deserving of all my love, of all my affections, of all my service? That God. I'll close with this verse. God bless you, dear people. You've listened well to an intense sermon. And if you didn't need it, I did. Why do you want to live? Romans 14, verse 7 says this. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For if we live, we live unto the Lord. If we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live or we die, We are the Lord's. Why do I want to live? If I am the Lord's, I want to live my life for Him. I want to give myself to Him. We've retired from itinerant preaching, but not from preaching. We feel God's call on our life to do this. I'm telling you, I'm thankful for this opportunity. I sit in our living room and I talk to a camera to make YouTube messages that our grandson puts on. And it's not the same as talking to people. We have become sterile in our computer age. God is still about people. He loves you and He loves me. And He wants us to get in on the greatest that He has. God has a wonderful plan for our lives. Say amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow I'll be speaking to you on following Jesus can be risky. We're going to take two more verses, the next two verses unpack some thoughts about this you need to be here tomorrow night if there's ever a message that's relevant it's this one how if you would just be willing to say things have changed in the last few years (laughs) Following Jesus, he don't send us into dangerous situations. He leads us into them. He said, let's go back to Judea again.
Hope you'll come tomorrow night. It's only a 10-minute sermon. Should have you out of here. And just... <laughs> I'm still struggling, okay? <laughs> well, why don't you stand with me? I don't know how to close this service. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, Thank you for joining us.